point and I was I was no different. I went down that exact same path. You know, I'd um, I'd go and spend you know, be up at four o'clock loading trucks and then we'd be out on site building scaffold and I'd have to come back and quote jobs and do the invoices and I'd sleep at the office probably two or three nights a week because I just didn't have enough hours in the day. And it wasn't until I realised that I'm the bottleneck in the business and this business is never going to grow or scale unless I get out of the way. Welcome to Inspiring Business with your host, Stephen Sandor, the podcast that inspires business owners to find their genius and future-proof the business's value. Welcome to the Inspiring Business Podcast. Uh, my name is Stephen Sandor, and today I have Simon Boys, the Managing Director of Benchmark Scaffolding. Um, the mantra of his business is every decision in the in the business is safety first, second nature. I, I love that use of uh, of the language. Um, the competitive market of uh, site scaffolding uh, is driven mainly by price. And Simon saw an opportunity to change the way he was seen uh, and find a niche in the market. Simon's um, is not just uh, focused on building a profitable business. He's also spent time building the right culture inside the business. So I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to uh, speak with him today and learn from Simon's experiences. So welcome, Simon, and thanks very much for joining me here on Inspiring Business. Uh, thanks for having me, mate. Excited to get into it, and hopefully there's a few insights that can, uh, people can take a lesson from my mistakes. Yeah, well, that's a great segue. Um, just uh, to start with, could you just give us a little bit of background of how you how you started and how you ended up um, here today? Yep. I guess it's a long story, uh, 10 years in the making. Started in 2010, uh, originally had two business partners, um, was this was my baby, my dream um, since since I first started scaffolding, I guess. And um, probably a couple of years before we actually kicked off, I started planning and thinking, you know, was it a possibility and wanted to get where, you know, I had a bit of a roadmap on where I wanted to get to and I needed a couple of partners to help me get there. Obviously, the, um, the scaffolding industry, if you don't have any scaffold, you can't put much up. Um, so we needed a big capital investment early on. So um, I guess as a lot of businesses do, I went to my parents and asked if they'd back me. And so my mum mortgaged her house and lent me some money. And you know, the three of us tipped some money into a pool and bought um, bought about $360,000 worth of scaffolding equipment. We didn't have any jobs, hadn't even quoted anything, didn't even have a business name. So it was a bit of a that was a bit leap of, of a risk, faith, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it took a leap of faith. But, um, you know, I, I was pretty clear early on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get there. And, you know, the story's changed quite a few times and it, I'm sure it'll change again probably by lunchtime today. It, um, but it's just about being nimble and being able to adapt with the times. Um, early on, we were like most other scaffolding companies, you know, we focused on residential and small commercial jobs. Um, you know, between the three of us, we quote the jobs, do the invoicing, build the scaffold, load the trucks, clean the gear, everything. Um, our first business partner exited the building at uh, the business early on um, within within a year or so. 
The second business partner, I brought him out uh, probably three, four years into it. So I've owned the business on my own now for probably six years. A um, few changes along the times, but um, yeah, it's been been a bit of a journey. Yeah, yeah. The the issues were they issues with your partners, or was it that you just wanted to have control? Um, no, not issues. Like we're still still. You know, I'd still have a beer with them every day of the week. Um, you know, one of them wanted to move to be closer to family. The other one wanted to go and start a, a different business. So um, it was always my dream. And I think, I guess, long term, I always wanted to own it on my own. But I couldn't get to where I wanted to without having business partners early on. So, yeah, look, no regrets. We got to where we are because we wouldn't have got there if we hadn't have gone down that path. So, look, I'm at peace with how it all panned out. And and um, you said that you always wanted to um, do this, you know, ever since you've been scaffolding. Is it has that been a so? Have you always been like an entrepreneur, or as a kid, were you you know were you selling um, lemonade on the on the store or doing paper paper runs or anything like that? No, like I get a little bit uncomfortable with the word entrepreneur. You know, people say, "Oh, you got this, and you're an entrepreneur," and I sort of think, "Well, am I? I don't know. Maybe. I guess." Um, for as long as I can remember, I'd every weekend I'd go to work with my dad. He was a boilermaker and um, he started his own little fabrication business. And as long as I can remember, I just, just wanted to work. From a young age, I'd go and work with, you know, my dad's friends had businesses. I'd go and sweep floors or I worked in an upholstery business for a while or um, I guess I'd just the work ethic's been instilled in me from my parents and it's just... Um, so I don't know if it's entrepreneurial or it's just I like working and I like a challenge. So, so call it what you will. So if it's if I mean you're right. I think the the word entrepreneur is bandied about far too much. And yeah. My apologies for doing that, but uh, it's it's hard to find a it's hard to find a word that doesn't describe people who are creative and sort of business you know have a business development mind and are always trying to push forward. Um, so I, I guess that's when I talk about entrepreneurs, I'm talking about that as opposed to, uh, uh, someone who's a freelancer who, you know, has their customers are their job. Um, yep. you know, so that <laughs> that's their employer. Um, yeah, I guess I was kind of think of it a little bit as it wouldn't matter what I was doing. I want to be the best at whatever it is. If yep. I was mowing lawns or collecting trolleys, I want to get more trolleys than anyone else. So it's not... It's not about being an entrepreneur. I'm just always looking at different ways to do things and how can we do it better and, you know, what can we change and how can we make it more efficient. So I don't, I guess scaffolding is just a, it's just a tool or a resource for, I don't know, whether you call it personal satisfaction or fulfilment or whatever you call it, but it's, um, it's just a matter of whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is, doing it the best of your ability. Yep. And and you you say we um, in that. So who have... Who have you leaned on as you've grown? Because, it, as you know, business is not easy. It's probably the toughest thing um, out there. So all those people listening in here think that it's, you know, I'm going to start a business and, and, you know, in three months I'm going to be rocking and rolling in, in cash. We all know that that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's right. Um, so who have, you, um, who have you leaned on as you've, as you've hit these hurdles or milestones in, in your business? Yeah. You know, everyone says, oh, you know, couldn't have done it without my team and I've got the right people and that around me and I hate, 
I hate those cliches and trying to be the sound the same as everybody else. But the reality of it is to get to where you want to go, doesn't matter what, what you're doing, you can't do it on your own. And, yes, your team around you is more often than not your biggest asset, but they can only do so much. You know, it's things like um, whether it's a business coach or a mentor or your accountant, your solicitor, all those sort of people. And it's about surrounding yourself with people you can trust and people that are like-minded, you know, like there's heaps of different um, – I hang out in a few different business circles where there's other entrepreneurs, for want of a better word, and different other business owners. And, you know, quite often you learn more from them mm. than what you do from any university degree or TAFE course. It's it's about surrounding yourself with like-minded people who who understand, you know. And I, I, as a business owner, I, I get quite lonely at times because, you know, my family and a lot of my direct friends, they don't have businesses. You know, they, you know, whether they're employed by somebody else or they're doing whatever they're doing, they, no one really understands the ins and outs of running a business. Um, even my wife, like, she's the most supportive person in the world, but we don't talk a lot about work because it's my escape. Yep. You know, I want to go home and talk about the 12 hours I've just lived. Yeah. So you need to surround yourself by people who understand what you're going through and doesn't matter what business it is, whether you're a hairdresser or a lawyer or a scaffolding company, everyone has the same problems. And it's a and it's a I guess it's a point of not not thinking that you're on your own. Mm. Doesn't matter if it's staff or stock or leads or conversions, everyone's got the same problems. It's just a matter of listening to other people's point of view and then thinking, how can you tailor that to suit your business? So I guess that's a long answer to your short question, but um, it, I guess the the takeaway out of that is just surround yourself with good, like-minded people that you trust their judgment. Yeah. I, I, um, I think small business has this conception that they have to do everything themselves, um, and it's typically at the front, you know, at the very early is when money is an issue. Well, they're you know they're, they're cautious about how much money they spend. In a, in the corporate world, or every business has got a push and a pull in its makeup. So to be successful, or, well, to be a, a, at the leading edge of your industry, you need that marketing, business development, you know, ideas to stay ahead of the pack, and that's the creative, innovative people, and that's typically the entrepreneur. And then you've got the systems and processes and control and operations, and they're the break on the business. They're the ones that go, <laughs> you know, stop coming up with new ideas. We haven't even bedded down the one that you just brought in yesterday. And, and the entrepreneur is the one who then sits in the middle of that because in a large organisation, the manager's got a team of people around them and can delegate that. And I think, you know, what you've done is recognise that, one, you can't do it on your own, but but that delegation of responsibility to people who are subject matter experts or geniuses in their space and then learn from them because at the end of the day, you're in control, aren't you? Yeah, and that's a really good point. And I was I was no different. I went down that exact same path. You know, I'd, um, I'd go and spend, you know, be up at 4 o'clock, 
loading trucks and then we'd be out on site building scaffold and I'd have to come back and quote jobs and do the invoices and I'd sleep at the office probably two or three nights a week because I just didn't have enough hours in the day. And it wasn't until I realised that I'm the bottleneck in the business and this business is never going to grow or scale unless I get out of the way because there's only one of me and there's only so many hours in the day. Everyone's got the same time of a day to, to do what they need to do. And it wasn't until I realised that I'm what's holding this business back that I really could scale it and grow it. And, and it was a real challenge to let go of the things that, were, that I knew I was good at. And even still to this day, sometimes I look at things and I think, oh, I could do it better than that. Why don't I just do it myself? But then you get yourself back into that same uh, toxic circle where you'd get stuck doing everything and the business is you. You can't yep. grow, it can't scale, it can't do anything without you. And it took me, I'd say, a good 12, 18 months to really let go and stop being such a control freak and bring other people in and... The good thing is now I realise that the people that the people that do those tasks that I used to do are way better at it than what I ever was. Yeah. And what my strength is now is growing the business and being strategic and planning and talking to customers and the technical side of it that um, that is a challenge. So it's if I could go back and tell my younger self, I would have got out of the way a lot earlier and who knows where we'd be now, but it's still a... It's still a challenge that, you know, my staff sometimes now, I give them permission to say, Simon, get out of the way. Like, just let me do it. I've got this. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that's a, that was a tough lesson to learn. Yeah. The, 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 well, there's two pieces to that. If I, um, if I'm hearing it, what one is your own challenges, uh, and, and, and feeling comfortable and trusting in the staff that you're employing. Um, so that's the first thing. The, the the other piece is that they trust you, um, and that they you know you've given them permission to speak openly and honestly when things aren't right. And that's a really mature uh, relationship to have with your staff, rather than a, a you know master servant type of relationship. Yeah, I'm really so conscious we- of not micromanaging the key guys. Like um, probably our maybe our five top key guys that we've got in girls, you know, they've been with us for seven, eight, nine years. So like they're, they're long-term, so they know how I work, I know how they work, and there's that trust. It's a two-way relationship. And sometimes I feel myself um, not overstepping the line but giving them too much input. So it's a, it's a conscious effort to pull back and say, look, you know what you're doing? You just work it out tell me what you need from me. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a... Um so when you made that initial, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I, and I need to get out of my own way, and then you started hiring people, what was the – how was your approach to that? What were you looking for and how did you go about trying to find the right people? Yeah. Well, luckily enough, uh, the, the, key, the key people in our business, majority of them were already in the business and they were just – screaming out for an opportunity to further themselves and I just I hadn't even considered it because I was doing everything and um, like one of the guys was our first ever employee and he's still with us 10 years later and he just needed an opportunity to to step 
to step up to the plate and take on more responsibility. And I don't know of any other guys in the country that are as skilled as what he is or what he does. He's phenomenal. And I was holding him back because I didn't give him the opportunity mm. to to really further himself. And so I guess you got to – I really believe that promote from within first or look from within. And if that's not available, it it's all attitude. Like I don't care how – much experience you've got, if you've got all the skills in the world, but if you've got a bad attitude or you haven't got the right mindset, you're not going to fit in. Mm. And you can teach people processes and policies and you can train them, but you can't teach a good attitude. Mm. So we've developed, uh, I guess, a scoring scorecard for when we're in uh, recruiting, whether it's a a scaffolder, a labourer, a warehouse manager, it doesn't matter what role it is. Um, So 70% of our scoring comes back to attitude. We can teach we can teach everything else, but you can't teach a good attitude. So so you've you've obviously got some values uh, that are in you know your values, you know, work ethic, honesty, you know, um, doing the right thing by people. Um, and and that's that's intertwined with the business culture. How how do you make sure that that is maintained? Because the further away you get from away from the nucleus of the business, the more diluted the message becomes. So how do you maintain that? Yeah, and that's a challenge that I think every business faces. It doesn't matter what you do. It's um, it's it's about the, again, it comes back to attitude and trust. And we've got to be able to trust each other that they're going to do the right thing by us. You know, in the scaffolding world, if if someone gets it wrong, we're talking life or death. You know, there's no second chances when a scaffold collapses or someone falls. So you've got to have that trust in each other. And it's about um, not only companionship and mateship, it's about knowing that the guy beside you or the girl beside you upholds the same values as what you do. And it's 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 got to be a message. The message has got to be transferred right from the top through. And at times it does get diluted and things do get a little... Um, a little convoluted and it's just a matter of getting back on track, reminding everybody, you know, we're relying on each other, not only to put food on the table for each other, but to go home safely to our families every day. So if you don't have the right attitude and the right mindset, you just doesn't, you don't fit. And the good thing is over time, um, if you keep, if you keep that attitude in the majority of your staff, it organically happens. And the ones who don't have that same, attitude, mindset, whatever we want to call it, is they soon get weeded out mm. and um, just doesn't, they just, it just seems to organically happen that. Yeah, they don't fit in. They don't fit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so going forward, what's, what's, the, what's the plan for the next five years? Uh, the last five years we've, we've now got, branches across the country we we've really niched into now we we say that we specialize in the most high risk and complex projects around the country and we do we've traveled all over you know off the coast of western australia to the northern territory uh, tasmania um so we're really specializing in the tricky jobs that not anyone can do and so with that comes its challenges obviously um it's there's a lot more risk. There's a lot more pre-planning. 
But the good thing with that is you attract quality staff that want to work on that type of project. And this is where the attitude part comes back in is generally the people with a poor attitude or not even a poor attitude, let's just say uh, an average attitude, they're happy to just go to work, collect their money, go home at the end of the day. Whereas when you're doing the real tricky jobs, the complex jobs, you find people that want to challenge themselves and they want to be better than the status quo. Yep. So by changing our messaging to really focus and niche onto that market has organically attracted the type of staff that we want. Right. So it's um so that's where we're we're headed now. Uh, I guess for me as a business owner, I've now built the business to a state where I'm not really required day to day. I still involve because I still love it and I'm motivated and I, I like seeing these really cool jobs come to life. Um, but we've got the right processes and the right people in place now where I'm not needed anymore. Mm-hmm. So now I'm working on tightening processes and efficiencies and, and building the business to a position where it's, um, where it's saleable. So if someone wanted to come in and buy it, uh, everything's in line, yep. but not looking to sell, if that makes yep. any sense. You know, um, I guess everyone's for sale for the right price, but it's more about getting the business into a fit position where it can, where it can be scalable, and you know we can push into new markets, new regions, and and really take things to another level. Yeah, I, I'm I'm such a fan of that. You know, I, I talk about retire into your business, so so get your business to a point where it doesn't rely upon you. Um, and and then it becomes either an annuity income because you're the chairman and you just you know take your drawings from it, or you're the managing director and you're out there doing business development, um, or, or some you know, or or it's for sale and um, or, or you know you go around travelling the world and and yep. and do what you want to do when you want to do it. Um, the key, I think, here that. And and you picked it up really early, and you know, really congratulate congratulate you for that because that's a real tricky one for people to recognise. Is getting that those systems in place because it becomes a turnkey operation, and then when someone's buying it from you, it's the value of the business is so much more because it doesn't rely upon you. Yep. You know, the value. Yeah, that- the challenge. The challenge is. When you go grow your business and you scale it, you get to the point where you're too big for someone small to buy mm-hmm. you and you're too small for someone big. So you get caught in the um, the desert, for want of a better word, and you, you've either got to really scale it and take it to another level or you've got to pull it back and, um, you know, really focus on – got to be really clear on what you want to do. Mm. You know, you can uh, – like you said, is if you want to go travelling – you know, or you want to scale it to sell or you want to list it on the stock market or whatever your your goals are, it's really easy to get caught in that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge to get out of. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, we talk about those three stages of the business. There's the early stage where everybody's running a million miles an hour and then you – and there's a lot of investment in time and money and expertise to get it up. And then there's that sort of, you know, you've got the jumbo jet at 30,000 feet and engines are half cranked and and you're going faster than, you know, than you've ever been able to go. Um, And it's, you're cruising, 
really easy. And then the headwinds come. And, and I guess that's the point, you know, is, is how do you bust through those headwinds? Do you do a detour around them? Do you go over, under, through it, handle the turbulence? And it's that, that's that next phase, isn't it? That, that, that whole planning. So how do you go about planning that? Is it? Yeah, I guess the business goes through different cycles. Um, you know, if it just went on one nice, consistent trajectory, it'd be nice and easy to run. But, you know, you build to the point where you you decide you want to scale and you want to bring in new business. All of a sudden, you need to come up with marketing strategies, sales plans, and and you're starting all over again. Mm. Like it's, it's a vicious cycle where you, you need more leads. So you go sell, 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 then you get all the work. So then you've got to stop selling and start delivering. And then all of a sudden that work dries up. So you're back to chasing leads again. Mm. It's, a, it's a bit of a whirlpool or a washing machine that just keeps going round and round. So we were lucky that um, we, we had a lot of repeat customers and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of not reoccurring projects, but work that was consistent. Yep. Then we got to the point where we decided we were going to sell, uh, start upselling and trying to bring in new business. So all of a sudden, we had to learn how to create marketing plans and strategies and sales processes because it was something we'd never had to do before. Mm. And then you, um, you know, that takes you a good six to 12 months to, to develop. And then you've got to implement it. Then you've got to test it. Then you've got to measure it. And then you bring in some leads. Then all of a sudden, you need to go back to your delivery team and strengthen that part of the business. Yep. Then your delivery team's looking for more work. So then you've got to bring come on with new promotions, new sales strategies. So it just continues. I don't think it ever, it ever stops. Yeah, and and I, that's I, you know that's where the passion comes in. So you know you get exhausted just listening to that story. And if you weren't passionate about what you did, you'd just you you wouldn't do it, would you? It, it's it it sounds exhausting unless you're really enjoying it. And that's that whole. You know, coming back to the work ethic. This is what we wanted. We want to make a difference. You know, you, want, you, you know, you want yeah. you want to do. And that's things why I think help. is if you, you know, people are scared to niche because they think, oh well, if I if I niche too much, I'm going to block out the rest of the market, and I'm not going to get as much work, or I'm not going to make as much money, or I haven't got as much opportunity. But when you niche, you're really focusing on the work that you want to do. Yeah, and you. It, often takes a while but you realize that when you niche there's actually more opportunities than what there is if you don't niche and like you said is the passion and the enjoyment and the fulfillment is there because you're focusing on the work that you want to do do. yeah yeah and it's not you know we all go home at the end of the day sometimes and just think oh why do i bother but you get up the next morning and you're back into it because you're motivated because you want to make a difference and you enjoy what you're doing and you're spot on as if it's if you lose that fire and that passion and that drive, then you're wasting your time. Yeah, and, and I reckon the test of that attitude is whether you're prepared to sack a client and a, yep. a good client, one a high-paying client because they're just being an absolute rat bag and you just go, I don't need this anymore. So thanks very much, but um, no thanks. And, yeah, and that's reckon- a really good point too because uh, – and we've been guilty of it in the past, but now we're very self-conscious of it and we make an effort that quite often your best customers are the ones you service the poorest 
because you know that they're going to come back yep. and they're going to be there and they don't get prices off anyone else or they're just – and they're really good people that you enjoy working with, yep. but you quite often neglect them and you put too much time and effort into the, the customers that you describe because they're high income or high pain or whatever it is. And it's not until you realise that who do I actually want to work with mm. and who do I enjoy working with and then you realise, well, hey – probably neglected this person, this person, and this person for too long. Yeah. And um, it's a good realisation to have that, hey, how do I get more people like them? Yeah. Because it becomes a partnership. Again, it's not that master-servant relationship. And if you build that really strong relationship, so when something goes wrong, um, you know, you're working you, – the, what you're trying to do is you're trying to work it out together. You're not, yeah, you know, there's not this advoc- this uh, um, you know, the, the, where you're arguing continually about um, about a result that only one of you can deliver. Whereas if you've got that really strong relationship with people, then you, it, they're not comfortable. Those conversations are never comfortable, as you know, but they're honest and, and you know that you both have the same intent. Yeah, and that's a really key part of our messaging is um, although we're not in the construction industry, you know, like we mainly, f- we focus on like mines, refineries, ports, bridges, anything that's high risk or, or complex, but there's always been this, um, I guess, a attitude in the construction industrial industry that subcontractors need the clients more than the clients need the subcontractors. Mm. And when you go into a partnership with that attitude, you're destined to fail. Like it's, it's always an us versus them. So our, our key messaging is, hey, use our business to leverage your own. Make your business better by yeah. partnering with us. We're all in it together. Yeah, we're all here to make money. But at the end of the day, we want to do our job the best we can and go home safely. So let's just change that whole messaging, the whole attitude, the whole focus and, um, and work together. And I guess the, this traditional construction industry, high-rise you know, three, four-story apartments, all that sort of thing. It's, it's generally the the cheapest price wins a job. Yeah. So the contractors have to do it as cheap as they can, yep. and then the building companies out there to to keep their prices low, and then it just becomes a never-ending argument between costs and efficiencies and times and delays, and it's just, in my opinion, you you set up to fail yep. when you go into a relationship with that yep. arrangement. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a commodity and you know you're selling widgets out of China, you know, okay, well that that's the model. But we we you know you picked a, a, a really um, tight niche, and as you say, you know you can't cut corners because if you start cutting corners, people die. Yep, and that's not a good that's not a good business model. To you've have, only so. got to read the newspaper or watch the news on TV. Like there's scaffold collapses not only in Australia but around the world. Every week. Mm. And that comes back to people trying to cut corners and save money where they can. And it's not until the whole industry realises that there's so much more to any business relationship than just the cheapest price gets a job. And until that happens, uh, unfortunately, we're going to continue to see this because people people have to cut corners and they have to find cheaper ways to do things to, to make money or the business mm. just doesn't survive. Mm. Yep. That's an unfortunate reality, and and I'm hoping that that um, you know it shifts uh, as people become less focused on the 
you know, the 80s greed is good to, you know, how can we, how can we work together and make Yeah, and it definitely is changing. Place. It definitely is changing, probably slower than everyone would like. But you, we are finding that, um, well, not so much us. I think the, the whole industry as a whole is finding that uh, quality and safety is now becoming not more important than cost, but it is bridging the gap. Yep. As, as important. Yeah, as important. Mm-hmm. Simon, I, I really want to thank you so much. It's been a great um Great chat, and I hope the listeners will be able to get some value from that. I'm sure they'll be able to get some value from that. So once again, thanks very much for joining me here at Inspiring Business, and um, yeah, we look forward to the next five years uh, in your chapter. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. If you've enjoyed listening to Simon and his inspiring story and would like to hear more of the same, all you need to do is subscribe and you'll never miss out. You'll find all the links to Simon's website and the services of Benchmark Scaffolding in the show notes below. Like Simon said in this interview, if he could speak with his younger self, he'd get out of the way a lot sooner. If you'd like help developing a strategy and plan to do just that, and you're ready to go from the do-it-yourself model to a do-it-with-you strategy, then connect with me for a complimentary call. My deep dive analysis and the intentional roadmap strategy is a tried and proven program ready for you to implement. My name is Stephen Sandor from Inspiring Business and there are plenty of additional resources on our website at www.inspiringbusiness.net and we are across all the socials. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Business Podcast and my wish is to inspire and energise you to take action so you can make a difference in your and others' lives.